0: All right, right. Thank you guys, thank you. Are you guys doing good tonight? You guys excited? Absolutely. Guys, tonight is going to be an incredible night. So hot, that's not my girlfriend, so that's weird. (laughs) I'll take that one. So you guys are doing good. Are you guys excited for the holidays that are right around the corner? Yeah, absolutely. Who in here is already listening to Christmas music? You're already... Really? Guys, you have to wait. Thanksgiving's not even here yet. It starts after Thanksgiving, guys. You have to wait one more week i'm so excited for christmas guys though it's right around the corner it's going to be here before you all know it that is of course unless jesus shows up between now and then and he splits the sky open comes down and we all float up to be with him i don't know why i'm flying but how awesome would that be guys right are you excited for jesus to come back okay that was good but we can do better are you excited for jesus to come back amen amen I am so excited for Jesus to return. I did that, guys, because I needed one free cheer from you. I know we're excited for Jesus. I'm so ready for him. But, guys, I don't want us to miss the fact that even though he hasn't physically split the sky and come back to this planet, he's still here. He's still in this room tonight with each and every one of us. He's still speaking. He's still guiding us. He's still the one in our hearts, if we've accepted him, who woos us forward, who shows us how to love him and how to love the people around us. And that's why he says in 1 John, on. We're jumping right in. First John 3:23 says, "Now this is his command that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and we love one another as he has commanded us that we believe in the name of Jesus and we love one another as he commanded us. It's that simple, two things that God calls us to. Believe in Jesus, love people, that's it. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, guys. What if I actually did that though? What if I'm like, okay, love people, love Jesus, done. I just walk off stage. That's it, does that work? No? No, that doesn't work, guys, because it it, it honestly, it's easy to say that. It's another thing to live it. We can write that out in its one short sentence, but a lifetime spent loving people, loving Jesus is so much harder to do. It's kind of like skydiving. I know, random, but go with me, right? Put on a parachute, go up in a plane, and jump. That's it, right? pull a cord at some point, I guess, four steps, this isn't that hard, I can do that, I can do that, but all of a sudden you're 14,000 feet in the air and you're looking over the edge and nope, nope, that's not going to work, no, Jesus, you start praying, God, please save me, right, you start bargaining, Jesus, whatever it takes, if I have to recycle, just get me out of this plane, it's easy when we think about these things, it's so much harder when we have to go do them, you see what Jesus calls us to, sounds simple, but it's another thing when we have to live it out. Before we move forward, guys, let's actually pray real quick. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's an honor to come here to spend a night worshiping you, giving you thanks, giving you this opportunity to speak to our hearts, God, so speak to us. Let us hear your voice, God. Let us know that you are with us. And it is in your precious name that we all say amen. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Preston. I do work on the Young Adults team. Um, I have the honor of getting to work with all of our life groups. And if you have seen some of the props up here, like Connor said, I usually have had something to do with that. I call them sermon illustrations because it sounds more spiritual, right? Like, what do you do? Oh, I enhance your message experience by providing a sermon illustration. I build some stuff. If Jesse wants stairs, I build some stairs. If Doug wants to hang from the rafters again soon, guys, we. Can do that. It is an honor and a privilege. So, Jesse, Doug, thank you so much for giving me the best job in the world. Guys, can we get up for Jesse, Doug, Connor, Whitney, and Charlotte? They're the best team. Thank you guys for your heart. Thank you guys for how you have shown me Jesus, how you work tirelessly to see heaven more crowded. Thank you to my family who's right here for supporting me. Thank you to the most beautiful woman on the planet for always standing at my side. I love you guys so much. I love you guys. So we're in this series, right, called Always Only Jesus. And of course, we're looking at the very man of Jesus himself, his works, his claims, his character, and his nature. Last week, Doug kicked us off in an incredible way, showing us that Jesus gets to us, right? He has to get to us. See, he went through Samaria, and he got to the woman at the well, and when he got there, he sat with her. And after he had spent time with her, he spoke to her. And every time Jesus opens his mouth, the, everything changes. The world is reshaped. See, her world is different. Her very life changes from that point on, right? She stands up, and then she goes and she tells everyone about him. She is compelled by Jesus to go share his love and his light and his mercy with everyone around us. If you're looking for where we're going tonight, it's that, that Jesus gets to us, that he's the starting point and he's the destination. And the way we get there is by sharing him and loving the people around us. If you have your Bible, we're gonna stick in the book of John tonight. We're gonna open up to chapter 13. John's entire gospel is about how Jesus gives us life and life abundant. And in chapter 13, Jesus is at the very end of his life, excuse me, he's at the very end of his life at the Last Supper with his disciples. So chapter 13, we're going to kick off in verse 1, I'll be in the message, you can follow along on the screen. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. Now it was supper time and the devil now had Judas, son of the Iscariot, firmly in his grip, all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the father had put him in complete charge of everything, that he came from God and that he was on his way back to God. So, and pay attention to that so, so he got up from the supper table. He set aside his robe and he put on an apron. Then he poured some water into a basin, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with that apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, "'Master, you wash my feet.'" And Jesus answered, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persists, you're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus answers him, if I don't wash you, you can't be part of what I'm doing. So, master, says Peter, not only my feet, then wash my hands, wash my hair. And Jesus responds to him, if you've had a bath in the morning, you need to only wash your feet, and now you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. And he's, of course, talking about Judas in this moment. After he'd finished washing their feet, he took his robe, put it back on, and he went back to his place at the table. If you're taking notes tonight, I have titled our message, He Washed, So You Wash. Is anyone in here a self-proclaimed know-it-all? Where are my know-it-alls at? None of you, seriously, come on. I'm not the only know-it-all. You've always got the answer. I am a know-it-all. I've got an answer. If you've got a question, I got your answer. If you didn't even ask me the question, but I know you got one, I got your answer. And it's not just any answer, it's the right answer. And I have 44 supportive points to tell you why I'm right. The issue is, is this got me in a little bit of trouble a couple years back. I was at dinner with some friends and Jeopardy came up in the restaurant that we were at, and I'm really good at Jeopardy. Like, really good at Jeopardy. I'm humble, but I'm really good at Jeopardy because I'm a know-it-all. And so I play, and I do really well as usual, and my friends are amazed by me. Actually, they think it's a fluke, and so they want to see again the next night if I can keep it up, and I do. And at the end of Thursday, I've racked up somewhere over $75,000. So Alex Trebek, if you're watching right now, anywhere near 75K, I'll take a quick check from you. So Friday rolls around the last day, and my friend's like, I wanna see you complete this streak. Let's see if you can break 100 grand, right? So I go over to his house, I sit down, and he puts 50 bucks on the table. I'm like, what's this? He's like, let's make tonight interesting. (laughs) Okay. So, I look at it and I go, Well, I've been eating ramen for the last month, so 50 bucks is gonna let me eat like a king a couple times. So, yeah, absolutely. I emptied my bank account, put 50 bucks on the table, here we go. Now, you guys all probably know where this story's going. The end of the night, I find myself 50 bucks poorer. Lost all my money, went home so sad, I was defeated. And so, the next week, I'm watching Jeopardy again because I am really that cool. And I see an answer that I don't think is right, because I argue with Jeopardy, right? Because I'm a know-it-all, so I know it. So I look up the answer online, and I find out that because Jeopardy airs an hour ahead on the East Coast, you can actually get all the answers right before they start here in Denver. So what I realized is last Friday, my friend's not actually just sitting there texting the entire time. He's scrolling through all the answers on Jeopardy. He's like, what's a platypus Uh, Where is Albuquerque? Who's Albert Einstein? And I'm like, how does he know all of this stuff? I'm the know it all. Realized that I had been cheated a little bit. So the moral of that story is don't hang out with cheaters. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The moral of the story is it's better to have one right answer than to think that you have all of the answers. You see, that's Peter at our dinner table at this supper. Everyone's hanging out, they're relaxed, the disciples are having a good time, they're celebrating the Passover, which in itself is a monumental experience, because it celebrates years ago when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. You see, God sent the plagues, and he sent the angel of death, and any of the Israelites' houses that had the blood of a lamb over the doorpost were spared. He passed over, and that points to this night, because the next day after the supper, Jesus is about to go and die on the cross. His blood will be poured out for us. Any of us who accept him, his blood will wash over our heart and we'll be seen as perfect before God forever. It's a beautiful analogy, but Peter doesn't know anything about this. Peter has no idea that Jesus is going to die the next day. See, what Peter knows is that Jesus is number one and Peter's number two. He's second in command, right? Peter's always got his mouth open. He's a know it all. He's got something to say. And wouldn't he learn every single time he opens his mouth, Peter's gonna regret it, right? He's gonna put his foot right in his mouth. And that is no different tonight. Because Jesus gets up during dinner and he starts. Washing everyone's feet, a job of a servant, and not just a servant, but the lowest servant in the house would be the one to wash someone's feet. So for Jesus to start washing people's feet is absolutely insane. For Peter to wash Jesus' feet would be insane. You just don't do that unless you're a servant. So for Jesus to do this is unthinkable. So Peter sits there, and he's like, I've got to have an answer. I've got to say something about this. I have to speak up. And so Jesus is coming down the line. He's washing one foot, the next foot, the next disciple, each one after another. And he gets to Peter, and he begins to wash his feet. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet, right? That's not how this works, God. I know that you're too high and mighty, Jesus. That's not how this goes. Don't wash my feet. Jesus says, I have to. He says, no, see, you're number one. I'm second in command. You don't wash my feet. It's not how this is going to happen. And Jesus so kindly corrects Peter, and he says, actually, it's because I'm that good. It's because I am that wonderful that I can stoop low and wash your feet. See, Peter, it's because I have all authority in heaven and on earth that I can put water into a bucket and I can clean you. See, I think Jesus is using this moment to show Peter and to show us that it's not about us. It's actually only about him, right? Always, only Jesus. It all points to him. It's about what he's done for us. It's about the fact that he wants to wash our feet. We don't have to come with an answer. We don't have to try and explain what he's doing. He's trying to teach us, not the other way around. And so Peter has this moment of realization. He says, well, master, then not only my feet, but wash my hands, wash my head. And I first read this, and I went, way to go, Peter. I'm so proud of you. You got it. You turned it around. Awesome. Congrats. Unfortunately, I went and started looking into this more, and Peter gets it wrong yet again. He puts his foot in his mouth another time, because, see, Jesus wants to wash his feet, and Peter says, wash all of me. And that's not what Jesus is trying to do in this moment. He's trying to just correct a couple small things. Peter's looking for this major transformation in the moment. That's a different story for another time, but the point is, Peter messes up yet again. He still is trying to run the show, and he's still coming up short. The dinner ends, everyone's hanging out, and things are getting a little bit crazy because Jesus has just told everyone that he's going to go to the cross the next day. And Peter points out and says, Jesus, I will die for you. And Jesus finally gets a little bit fed up, perfectly, I mind you gets a little bit fed up and says, you'll die for me, Peter? Actually, you're going to deny me three more times before the night is through. You're going to deny me again and again and again three more times, your foot will be in your mouth. And Peter does just that. And at the end of that night, he finds himself broken, empty, lacking everything. And so he runs away. He goes back to fishing. And it's not until Jesus has died. It's not until he's risen again. It's not until he's seen all the other disciples does he get back and bring Full restoration to Peter. See, I get Peter. I understand Peter. I want to try and show that I've got an answer. I want to show everyone in this room that I know what it takes. I want to show my boss and my coworkers that I can impress them. I want to show the people in my family that I can take care of everything. I want to be the one to have an answer. I want to be the one who seems like everything's held together. I have control, and I have my life put together. Do you walk around acting like you have your life Put together. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. That means Peter is in charge of everything, not Peter, Jesus, sorry. Jesus is in charge of everything. He knows everything and he is in charge of everything. When Peter thinks he has it together, Jesus is the one who still has everything. Everything on lock. See, I'm just like Peter. When I get convinced of something, when I think I know the answer, that becomes my focus. That becomes the center of my universe. I forget everything Jesus is trying to do, trying to teach me, trying to show me. I'm focused right here, trying to hold it all together. And just like Peter, everything falls apart. I walk away. I run away. God has to come find me. Jesus has to speak to me. And then I get redeemed and the cycle starts over again. And so reading this, I looked at this and I said, I don't want to look like Peter anymore. I don't want to live like Peter anymore in this stupid cycle of constantly trying so hard and then failing. And so I realized that there was someone else in this story who did things very, very differently. I realized that there was another person who did things so differently. He let Jesus wash his feet. He let Jesus come and take care of him. He let him... Be in control. This is John during the night, and we're going to look at him in just a minute. See, he lets Jesus take control. Will you let Jesus take control? Will you let him wash you clean, take over, have what he wants so that you can experience some freedom and not have to run away and be saved? See, in the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus is showing us on this night is that royalty is determined by how you serve someone, not by how you are served by them. I'm going to say that again. You are determined royal in heaven by how you serve the people around you, not by how you you are served by them. Because Jesus got low. He washed their feet. He's saying, I'm king. I'm in control. I have authority. Therefore, I can wash your feet. So he got up from the table and he washed them. One leads to another. He has all power. He has all authority. That gives him the opportunity To get on his hands and his knees and clean the people around him. And once he finishes that, what does Jesus do? He goes and he sits back down. My Bible says that he reclined. He reclined. He's relaxed. He's at peace. He goes back to the table and he puts his elbow down and he just hangs out with his guys for a minute. And there's a reason that he does this. He has a point in doing this because he's saying Guys, pay attention to me. Look up here, all of my guys. What I just did for you ends with a place of rest. It means you rest after it. See, what I just did for you comes from full peace, and it ends with full rest. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to labor in vain. You simply rest. You let me take care of it, and what I just did will result in full peace and rest. Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again, and he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. See, Jesus washes their feet so that he can show them how to go wash the feet of those around him. When he meets the woman at the well, Jesus washes her feet with his words, and her only response is to get up, to go out, and to share him. See, every person in this room, every single one of you, you individually, not you as a collection, but you watching right now, you listening individually, are loved infinitely by this God. He designed you, He created you, He loved you for Himself. It's always only Jesus, and He wants you to know how deeply He loves you. So much so that He went and He died on a cross. So much so that He took the life of a servant and He washed your feet, so that you can do the exact same for everyone around you. Because He loves you. That is all that it's about. There is nothing else. There's There's nothing beyond this. This is exactly why John says at the end of his life, now this is his command that you believe in the name of his son. Jesus Christ, and you love one another as he's commanded us. John makes this plain. Forget about your job. Forget about the car, the vacation, your 401k. Drop the Instagram feed for five minutes and think about what your purpose is on this planet. It is to know who he is and to show other people who he is. It's always (laughs) only Jesus. There's nothing else beyond him. If you're looking for something more, you're acting just like Peter in this moment. See, Peter thinks, I love Jesus because I'm going to get something more. I love Jesus. He thinks that Jesus is going to go take over Rome. He thinks Jesus is going to set up a new government because that's what every Jew thought during this time. That is what Jesus came to do as the Messiah. He came so that he could take over the government and set people free. They didn't know that what Jesus was gonna set them free from was actually death. Peter's thinking, I'm gonna go to the penthouse. Jesus is telling him, Peter, no, you're actually gonna spend your life in jail for my name because it's always only him. If you think that Jesus is a stepping stone to something more, you've kid yourself of something. You've robbed yourself of the fullness. All the more that you could want is found in him. Always only Jesus, only him. He's the only thing that matters. He is everything, and he is the only thing, and John knows this so well. He's the one who gets this in this moment. See, at the exact same dinner when Peter's opening his mouth, in the exact same dinner when Peter's trying to show off a little bit and show how much he knows about things, John's just sitting there. It says that John reclined next to Jesus, and not just that, he reclined upon Jesus. It says that he leaned on Jesus's shoulder and he just stared at him. John wasn't even in the conversation with all of the other disciples. He's just there for Jesus. He doesn't care about anything else. It's awesome that, that everyone's there, that they all have this good work. But he's fixated on this man. He is Obsessed by God incarnate. See, I think John gets it a little bit in this moment. Even though Jesus hasn't died yet and revealed his full glory, John gets it a little bit, that there's something different about Jesus. That's his only focus. He's resting on him. He fights to get right next to him at the table and he sits there with Jesus. He realizes that it's only him. And when Jesus gets up and he starts washing every single foot, I promise you John is just as confused as everyone else. He's just as confused as what's going on. This doesn't look right. And as Jesus gets a little closer, he gets a little bit more confused and a little bit more scared. But Jesus gets to him and John just undoes his sandal and says, okay, if you really want to wash my feet, then I'll let you. If you want to do this, that's fine. Okay, I accept it. See, John in this moment is like a child. He knows that Jesus is the one leading. He knows that he needs to be the one who just sits there and responds to him, just knows him. He's staring at Jesus. He's like a little boy obsessed with his dad who's like a superhero to him. If I can just be a little bit more like him, maybe if I can stay next to him and I can pray with him, maybe if I can walk and talk with him just a little bit more, I'll look more like him and life will make a little bit more sense. And that's why John says, now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus. See, we take this word believe to mean a one time thing where I put my faith in him and I said, Jesus, you're God. You're my king. I know you live for me and I know you died for me and I know I have life eternal and life abundant because of you. Amen. And that's our prayer, right? We believe in Jesus now. It's done. But then the next thing says, go love other people. And so we do. And we love people for a while and all of a sudden, we get a little bit more tired, and we start loving people some more, and we get a little bit more tired, and we love some people and more, and at some point, we say, I'm exhausted from this. What, what is going on? There's nothing else. Okay, I just keep doing this. This is, this is hard. I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting tired, and you see, all of a sudden, it's about me. All of a sudden, it's about me again. All of a sudden, I'm a Peter again. When I lose everything and I walk away and Jesus has to pick me up and eventually we need to read this believe in the way John wrote it. You see what it means when he says to believe in Jesus means to rely upon, to put your faith in, to lean on. John actually says believe here and he means to lean on Jesus the way that he leaned on Jesus during this dinner. See, so that prayer is not a one-time thing. That prayer is every single morning of your life. Jesus, I believe In you, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I take your strength up and I walk with it. And that is what will allow me to go serve and love the people like you've called me to do. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a singular prayer. This is every day of your life realizing that you dedicate your life and your day to him. And he will allow you to take care of the people right next to you. See, John gets this. So how do we do that? How are we supposed to believe more in Jesus? How are we supposed to trust in him more, to give him more, to, to have more faith? John shows us in, in a fuller version of this passage that we have been reading. So band, if you guys would like to come back up, let's look at a fuller portion of John chapter 3. 1 John 3, 16 through 24. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Jesus poured out his life on our behalf. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to that need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children. See, John gets it. Little children. He's looking at us saying, you better be dependent upon Jesus. You better take the form of a child who requires everything from him and him alone. Little children, we must not love with words or with speech, but with our truth and with our action. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and we will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us that he, God, is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ And we love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he's given us. (sighs) I know that that is a thick portion of scripture. So if we break it down simply, I promise you we'll have a couple of things that we can take home and take into our next week. The first thing is this. Loving Jesus, believing in Jesus, and loving people go hand in hand. Loving Jesus and loving people go hand in hand. Notice that John says, now this is his command. He does not say, now these are his commands, as if you do one and then you do the other. These are not separate. These are joined. These are one. Believe in Jesus and love one another as he has commanded us. That means if I believe in Jesus, if I put my faith in him, it looks like me loving you guys. That means if I believe in Jesus, if I put my trust and my strength in him, it manifests itself in me pouring out my life for the people around me. That means if Jesus is my everything, if it's always only Jesus, I better be spending a couple weeks a year in Kids Rock serving a little bit. Shameless plug. Honestly, guys, though, we tell you and we ask you guys to serve, not because it helps us in here. We love it and we need your help because this place is growing. But this is about you guys experiencing Jesus, seeing him in his fullness. Because it only happens when you lay down your life, when you die to yourself and give yourself to someone else. John hits this on the head. He gets this. And it's backwards, right? It doesn't make sense. But what in the kingdom isn't backwards? What in the kingdom does not make a single lick of sense by our own common minds? see loving Jesus looks like serving people it looks like laying itself down why because if I believe in Jesus and I know that he has taken care of me, I know if I'm okay and put together here, then I have so much time to take care of all of this because I'm not worried about my heart. I'm not worried about my job. I'm not worried about my 401k. I'm not even worried about my family right next to me because I know he's taken care of that. I can pour myself out. This is what it looks like. See, John says this very clearly in his message right here. John writes that if we love through action, will end up convincing our spirits that we are good with God. And that makes not a lick of sense. We'll convince ourselves that God is good and that he is for us. Another version says, if we love others by giving ourselves to them, by serving them, by pouring ourselves out, we will actually shut down the self-criticism that cripples our every single day. I have so much anxiety going on up here, but if I drop it for a minute and I love Jesus and I love the people, all of a sudden it's gone. I'm not worried about a single thing anymore. It's taken care of. It's done love Jesus love people and watch your self condemnation go away watch it fall away forever and what does John say after this he says dear friends if our conscience does not condemn us we have confidence before God and we can receive whatever we ask of him if we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight is that not insane to think that I can ask God for anything anything and with wide open arms take it in freely Whatever I ask for, if I ask for sickness to go out of my family, if I ask for healing to happen in my friends, if I ask for provision for my own self, which can sound selfish, if I love Jesus and love people, I don't have to worry about asking for those things. It's easy to ask for those things, and I can just accept them and receive them. And you know what happens? Do you know what happens when you start seeing God answer these crazy prayers? You fall more in love with him. You find him again. He repeats this action. You fall more in love with Jesus so you can pour yourself out for people. Your conscience becomes clear. You ask for crazy things, he answers it. You fall in love with Jesus. You take care of people, your conscience is clear. You ask him for crazier things, you fall more in love with Jesus. You love him, you love the people around. Do you see it, do you get it? This is a perpetual cycle and it is beautiful and it is lifelong if you allow it to be. But you see, we get caught on step number one. We want control. We want to think we've got it all figured out. We want to think I can maintain this. I can keep this together until it is not together. And all of a sudden I'm running away from Jesus again and he has to find me in the dark and he has to bring me back to the light and he has to sit me down and he says, okay, let's try this again. Do you believe in me? Yes, I I believe in you. Do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. Do you love the people around you? Yeah, I do okay go show them that okay and if i just do that if i just believe in him and allow it to manifest itself as loving other people i don't want to tell you guys how it works because i don't know how this next step works but i've seen it happen as i pour myself out all of a sudden i feel I feel full inside. I feel free inside. I feel like my plate has more space for more people. And as my condemnation slips away, I stand more bold before the God who made me bold. Because it's always only Him. He's the one who did it. He's the one who made me bold before Him. He's everything. Do you guys see? It's always only Jesus. Only He can start this process for you. You have to let Him wash your feet. And then take the step and go wash Someone else's and just watch what happens. Just see how he works in your life See Doug gave us a terrible cycle last week the worst cycle we could think of try harder fail again feel worse repeat try harder fail again Feel worse, repeat. Can I add to that? Try harder to control things. Try harder to impress the people around you. Try harder to make that Instagram feed everything it needs to be. Try a little bit harder to look like your life is together. Fail again, because it will fall apart every single time. Feel worse, because you just can't figure it out. Repeat. I better try harder, God. I better put more effort into this, and I'm exhausted. And I'm running out of everything, and I have nothing left. But if I try harder to get this stuff together, if I, to get my act in order, then probably it'll work. Oh, no. Failed again. I feel worse. Let's repeat. How about we try a different cycle? Believe in Jesus. Love Jesus. Pour out your life for the people around you. Watch your entire conscience become clean. Watch your condemnation slip away. Watch your self-hatred just disappear. Ask him for some crazy stuff. Watch him answer it. Fall in love. Repeat. Love Jesus. Love people. Be freed up to ask for anything. Repeat. Love Jesus. Love people. Be freed up to ask for anything repeat that's all there is to it he actually made it simple when he said now this is my command says your father that you know and you believe in the name of my son because it's always about him it's always from him and it's always for him you see how we want to give back to him he did it first he washed our feet before we washed anyone else's he started this process so you don't need to try and muster it up inside of yourself you don't need to think I got to figure out how to love people more you just say Jesus teach me Teach me to love people more. Let me spend some time with you like John. Let me stare at your face and see my entire world change. Is there anyone in here who is just like me? You want to love the people better, but you just don't know how. You want to love Jesus better, but you just don't know how to give it up to him. If that's you, if you want to love people more, will you just raise your hand real quick? I want to love people better, Jesus. I want to pour out my life a little bit more for them. I want to die to myself so that someone else gets to see you. Because ultimately what happens is is then I see you. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we thank you. It is an honor to be in your presence, to stand before you and know that you are good and you are holy, that you are everything. We love your name. Teach us to love you and love the people around us because we see this beautiful cycle right before us. Help us enter into that cycle tonight and going forward. Amen. Second question in here. If you're sitting here right now and you do not know this Jesus, you've heard about him maybe a couple times before, maybe a friend dragged you along long, but you don't know about this Jesus that came. He lived a perfect life. He died on your behalf. See, the Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short. We can't muster enough inside ourselves, but he did it all for us. And all we have to do is accept that if you're in here and you want to receive that Jesus, you want to start this journey of an abundant, full life and have life in heaven with him forever. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. With every eye closed in here, guys, if you want to receive Jesus into your life. One, he loves you so much. He lived this perfect life and he died on your behalf so that you could see his face, not just for a moment, but for the rest of eternity. Two, he gave himself up for you and he wants you to enter this beautiful cycle and see how loving other people actually fulfills everything you've ever needed. Three, if you want to accept Jesus, just raise your hand real quick. Just put him up. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jesus, for your love, for your heart, for your blessed mercy. Thank you that you lived among us and that you have a full life for us, for for me, for us individually. This is not about a collected group, but about each individual person. We love you, Jesus. It is an honor to see your face. We praise you forever. Amen. Let's worship, guys.